This is the Cashflow Digest. My name is Matt Faircloth and me and the DeRosa team are here for you guys on a weekly basis video and broadcast recording. This is also live on our Facebook group, DeRosa Insiders. We're going to be talking about all things real estate and all things cash flow because our company is dedicated to transforming lives through real estate and cash flow can do that. We're going to be talking about things that are affecting the real estate industry, news in the real estate investing world. And we're also going to be bringing on guests that are crushing it in the cash flow sector of real estate investing. If you guys want to join and watch the show live, please go to Facebook and look up DeRosa Insiders and join that Facebook group where we record this show every Friday at noon Eastern. Hope to see you guys there. What is going on, DeRosa Insiders? It's Matt Faircloth, and thank you for watching or listening or joining the Cashflow Digest program. If you're watching this thing live, that's because you're on the DeRosa Facebook feed at DeRosa Insiders. If you're not, what are you doing? Go right now to Facebook. Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with that. Join DeRosa Insiders on Facebook. There, we've got people talking about deals. We've got people talking about opportunities. And we've got people talking about all things real estate. And this show is broadcast live at noon Eastern every week every Friday at noon Eastern standard, you can join this program as well. Just like all the other folks watching this program live and ask me questions and ask our guests questions and hop in with questions and comments. This past week on the DeRosa Insiders Facebook channel, we had a awesome session where our man Hervé Francois underwrote a couple of markets that, that we're thinking that, that you guys may want to consider investing in. We went and did a deep dive analysis on a couple of US markets that you guys may want to consider. All those things and more happen on the DeRosa Insiders channel. So guys, as always, grateful to have you guys here. I got the Eric Platter my favorite plant controller areas area saying hello among many others here on the road, the Duros insiders feed. So if you guys are watching on Spotify, grateful for you. Thank you. Please take a moment and like this program. If you're watching on other feeds, that's all good. Take a minute and like, and share this program with others so that they can grow the real estate business just as you and we are as well through what we do here. Cool. All right, everybody. Today, I want to talk to you guys about an interesting concept that's happening in the market with regards to a certain asset class that probably doesn't get talked about enough. And maybe this asset class just gets lumped into being a part of residential housing. But, the, but, but number one, residential housing is a huge bucket of all kinds of different places that people can live. And to put a multifamily and short-term rentals and assisted living and mobile homes and many, many other things, even new construction, building these kinds of things, all into one ginormous asset class called residential housing is too big of a bucket uh, of investments. Things function differently in that. So I just like, I, I wouldn't, we don't buy student housing as a company. DeRosa Group does not. That's still residential housing. It's still a roof over people's head, but that is not an asset class that we function in because it runs differently, right? So you got to decide which niche of residential housing you're in. And the one I want to talk to you guys about today is mobile homes. What's interesting is that there's an article here. We believe in transforming lives through real estate. It's what we do. It's what we do. What we help our students do, those that are members of our accelerator program and those that are members of our communities. We coach and preach all day long about benefiting people's lives through what we do in our business, meaning making the world a better place, so to speak, through the investments that we make. We believe that in our heart, that that's what we can do. And that's what we do every day at DeRosa Group. Now, Mobile home parks, in some ways, don't get enough street cred. And the reason that they should get more street cred, a couple of reasons. Mobile homes are affordable housing in some ways. The, the average mobile home for what it costs to live in a mobile home compared to either owning or renting in an apartment complex or, of course, owning a home 
within driving distance of that mobile home park. It is by far more affordable than it would be in dollars per month across the table. But it's not viewed as well as it should. Maybe mobile homes are where a lot of America should be looking at for more of its affordable housing. And that's what the article is all about, is about the possibilities of opening up the regulations and allowing the construction of more mobile homes. Many mobile homes are manufactured in America. That's a good thing, right? Many mobile homes provide good affordable housing for people, new construction mobile homes or existing mobile homes that are get, that are bought and fitted out and retrofitted. Another reason why mobile homes are a great investment that do transform lives through real estate is there are certain structures of mobile homes, meaning, I mean, financial structures, like arrangements of mobile homes, where the person that's living in the mobile home, in, in the unit, can own the box that they're in. And they could be renting the, of course, renting the dirt from their landlord, but, and the landlord's doing things like cutting the grass and maintaining the roads and likely providing water and utility outlets to them that they can then pay by the gallon or by the kilowatt for them using. But they own the sticks and bricks. They own the, the four walls that they're, that they're residing in. Ownership is a means to transform lives to real estate. Equity is a means to transform lives to real estate. And to give a owner of the box that they're in ownership by either seller financing or allowing them to buy it outright, whatever means they want to do that. Doing that allows them to build their long-term wealth. Maybe the mobile home that they're in is not going to be worth a million bucks one day, but maybe it doesn't need to for them to set to, for them to one day sell that mobile home to the next person and send their kid to college on it or to send their kid to community college or just have enough for them to relocate or move to you know some other place they want to retire into, right? Mobile homes can be a part of uh, middle America's long-term financial plan. Maybe long-term home, home ownership isn't for everybody, but maybe a mobile home is a nice bridge. Other ways that real estate can get transformed, we can transform lives through mobile home parks is providing just great amenities to mobile home users like playgrounds, like parks, like you know, big movie nights or jumpy houses or whatever. If you're a landlord that owns a mobile home park, there are amenities and ways, you, things you could do to make your tenants' lives easier, better, more enjoyable, whatever it may be. And the article also is uh, something that talks about a, a way that we can perhaps just overall make people's lives better by giving them just, you know, more amenities, more benefits, lower cost of ownership, lower cost of financing, all those things all add up to transforming lives to real estate. And they add up to a potential solution, not a solution for everybody. I get living in a mobile home, not for everybody, but it could be for a lot more people than we are allowing it to be. The permits for new mobile home parks are very hard to come by. There's a lot of not in my backyard, NIMBY judgment that happens around mobile homes. And maybe we should release a lot of that so we can solve the affordable housing crisis we have in America. So that's what this article is all about. What do you think? If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're watching it in as part of our Cashflow Digest podcast, if you're watching it somewhere else, tell me what you think about mobile homes being the solution to affordable housing problems in America. Should mobile should there be more mobile homes? Should towns allow more of them? Are you a part of the not in my backyard conversation? Would you allow a mobile home park to get built in your backyard? Or would you be one of the folks coming out to protest that? Or would you welcome it? Right? Ask that, ask that personally. All those things I'd like to talk to you guys about in the comment section. That's what I got for you guys today in the current event comment corner on the Cashflow Digest show. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We've got a guest coming in here. Today's guest, we've got royalty in the house, guys. This Today's guest was on the Bigger Pockets podcast recently. It, it is an honor to go on the Bigger, Pots, Bigger Pockets podcast. It is a life-changing event to go on the Bigger Pockets podcast. And if you guys are looking to raise your game in real estate, it should be a lot of your, consider having that as a goal one day to have that for yourself as well. Our guest just wrapped up a show on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Can't wait to hear how that goes. Lots of other interesting conversations like turning 15 grand into 4,000 a month by investing in the overlooked asset class of mobile homes. Just got done talking about that. Let's talk about it some more. Guys, let's bring in our guest, Jason Velli. Jason, welcome to the show. How are you, buddy? 
Thanks, man. Doing well. Sorry, I, I've got a little cold today, so I'm a little raspy, but doing well. Thanks for having you me. You are above ground, and that's <laughs> and that's good, man. And I'm I'm grateful that you're here. Good stuff. Don't worry about the cold. Get easy on Jason today. Comment section. Be nice. All right. And it is Friday anyway, so we got to be kind anyway. Jason, man, tell me your thoughts on how mobile homes may be a good solution. Not everyone wants to live mobile home. I get it. It's not the only solution. But could mobile homes be one of the solutions to the affordable housing problem we're having here in America? Absolutely. I, I think so. And, you know, I think not only traditional mobile homes, but also, you know, tiny homes. The yes. tiny homes have been so popular here recently that, you know, I know some folks that build a lot of tiny homes. And I think they've been in discussions with HUD to see if they can get them regulated similarly to trailers, manufactured homes, mobile homes, whatever you want to call them. But I think if we could build, get permission and permits and build communities of t tiny homes instead yep. of maybe what most people think of when they think of like a mobile home park where they're thinking of rundown, not well-maintained trailers from the 60s and 70s that are falling apart, not taken care of. I think if we could fill in the amount of people in one space and at a lower price point, but also do it with something that's aesthetically pleasing, I, I think that would alleviate most people's concerns while still affording that opportunity to the lower income folks that need it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's, I keep saying not for everybody, but it's for a lot of people. And when people are faced with the option of, well, I mean, you know, I can afford X amount of dollars per month, right? They should have a mobile home as an option, you know? And it, because living in the area they live in could be living in a rundown apartment building or living in a dilapidated, under-improved single family home or live in a brand new mobile home park right? For around the same dollars per month or a, a tiny home community, as you mentioned, that's a great point. And people don't take tiny homes seriously, do they? They should, mm -hmm. but people think it's kind of like a joke or it's, a, it's, it's almost like, oh, it's a glamping thing. It's something those crazy millennials are doing, whatever. <laughs> but, but tiny homes are a better solution than people think that they are because not for nothing, people don't need the four or five, 6,000 square foot that a lot of people live in. They don't need all that. Maybe all they need is 600 square foot to really live well in certain parts of the world where outside can become part of your living space, you know, where like that maybe outside becomes your dining room or outdoors becomes your living room or whatever it is. Maybe there are better solutions that we can come up with in America. If we think outside the box and tiny homes are certainly one of those outside the box solutions. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell, let's tell our audience all about you. Give us the, for those that didn't get the chance to listen to the podcast yet for the bigger pockets podcast, tell us all about you, what you're up to backstory, the whole intro. Sure. So I'll try to, make it as uh, brief as I can. So I, my background is in finance. I went to school for finance and I uh, was a licensed financial advisor for a short time. And then I worked with institutional trust funds for many years. And about four years ago, roughly, I started investing in real estate on the side. And my entire business model from day one has been flip single family houses, including manufactured homes to drum up enough capital to put as down payments on apartment buildings. And the the goal was to do that until I had enough passive pure net rental cash flow coming in to cover all of our living expenses before I considered leaving the day job. And in the meantime, the day job paid all the bills, all of the real estate, the flipping income just went to buy more rentals that I sat with property managers. So it didn't take much more of my time. Because uh, at the time that I started, I had uh, my wife and two kids at that point. Now we are expecting our fifth child soon. So exactly. life is very busy. But 
nonetheless, in April of this year, the day before I turned 30, I quit my six figure W2 and went full time into real estate. And I was able to do that comfortably because we reached that number of cash flow to where, because my whole thing was, I just want to do this safely so that, yep. you know, if, if the housing market collapsed and I couldn't flip any more houses for income for two or three years, neither one of us would have to go back to, you know, get a W2. We would be able to live off of the cash flow just fine. And that was, you know, could, could I have cut the day job sooner and taken that leap, that risk and probably done really well and scaled even faster? Absolutely. But with a family that was counting on my income, that's not where my risk tolerance was at the time. You know, and in the financial world, you know, risk tolerance is a, a very, very focused, well, important aspect that, you know, everybody needs to take into account, you yeah. know, but so as of now today, I have between four apartment complexes, I have 59 doors and I've got one partner on two of those four. So of, of ownership percentage, I own 44 out of those 59 doors it's net somewhere around 10,000 a month cash flow, And I have either 12 or 13 active flips in the works right now as well. All are you, those all active flips are those mobile home deals or are they single family homes? It's about half and half. Yeah. Okay. Tell me more about flipping a mobile home because I mean, I, there's been a lot of folks that we've talked to and, and that people have heard talk about, about flipping a house, but flipping a mobile home has got to be a whole different ball game. Tell us all about that. Yeah. So it, it's truly not that much different. There's just a handful of nuances that you need to know. You know, first of all, you need to know that you're not going to have the potential exit strategy of refinancing to hold on to it. So, you know, for the traditional Burr method, you know, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, these aren't really a good option for that because, I mean, you can get financing for these as a primary residence all day long, but mm -hmm. you can't get mortgages for these as investment properties. So if you're using, you know, hard money or private money to fund these flips on manufactured homes, you know, that pretty much your only extra strategy is to resell the property. But with a, with a manufactured home, whether it's a single wide or a double wide, you know, what, what happens is they, when they're first created, they are created with a title with, with the DMV, just like a, a car, like a vehicle. They're they're That's why they're called mobile homes. And Whenever that mobile home is put onto a piece of land and put on a permanent foundation, which usually is cinder block piers underneath the I-beams that are under the frame, there's a few other qualifications. Like they're supposed to remove the tongue of the trailer and the wheels and axles and put some form of skirting around it, whether it's brick skirting or cinder block or vinyl. Um, any of those are fine. And then whenever that's put on a permanent foundation, there's there's two main things that are supposed to be done. And, you know, full disclosure, I'm only speaking from my experience doing this in the state of North Carolina. So if this could very well differ a little bit in whatever other states you may be in. But here, there's two things that's supposed to be done whenever you put a mobile home on a permanent foundation. The first is the title is supposed to be canceled with the DMV. There's a form mm -hmm. that you can file where you're telling them we've put it on a permanent foundation. It's not a mobile home anymore. You know, so please cancel the title and they'll cancel the title, which means you'll no longer get a property tax bill for that vehicle anymore. But then the second part is there's a form I've seen. I've seen a couple different names for it. One is called a uh, affidavit of a fixation. And one of them is called a declaration of intent to affix to real property. 
whatever, whichever version you use of that, you're supposed to fill that out and um, record that with the county that it's in. And that form is acknowledging, telling the county that, hey, we have canceled the title with the DMV. It's no longer a mobile home. We've put it on a permanent foundation. So you're now allowed to tax this as a piece of real estate, as a property, rather mm. than the county only taxing the piece of land like they previously were. So that's when it becomes real estate. It's considered real property. And at that point, it can qualify when you flip it and you're going to be selling it to somebody buying it as their primary residence. It qualifies for all of the same types of financing that stick built houses do. As long as they're mm -hmm. buying it as their primary, you can do conventional FHA, USDA, VA, all of them. And I think in my experience from what I have what I've seen in, in my market is a lot of investors, a lot of house flippers have shied away from touching manufactured homes. And some of that may be because they don't know a ha handful of those little nuances. But the biggest reason that I found is that most of them don't know that these qualify for financing on the back end. Most That's of exactly them. Why I, I believe they're not doing it for a lot of, probably there, there's some judgment of the end buyer clientele that like that, that you know who's gonna buy this thing that's got the amount of money i need them to have but let's let's spot check right what is a typical rehabbed mobile home like what's the average sell price you've sold a flipped mobile home for in the market right now in my area uh, a single wide on land is probably going to go for somewhere around 160 to 180 and the double wides the flipped double wides are probably going to be anywhere from you know, 225 to 260 and newer double wides I've seen go for 280, 300, 315, believe it or not. It's, yeah. it's wild. I mean, just with how much housing prices land, have dude, gone up. That land value, does that, and, and, but let me put a pin in that, right? Does that, when, when they're, you're selling that, they're getting, they own the land and the building and the whole thing. They're not, this isn't like a land lease back to a landlord like you would see in somebody renting a mobile home, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's not. And, and also I'll, you know, clarify that I don't touch manufactured homes if they don't come with the land. So I, yeah. I'm not somebody that's going to buy a trailer for five grand that has to be moved and sell it to somebody else for 20 grand. That's not my business model. And I also haven't done anything with mobile home parks to date. You know, I, what I'm doing flipping these houses is it's just a mobile home on one small piece of land. Usually you know, a quarter of an acre, 0.4 acre, something like yeah. that. But we have a lot of neighborhoods around this area that are full size, you know, quarter acre to half acre lot, you know, neighborhoods that are made up of all double wides, not a single mm -hmm. stick built house. And so there's, there's a lot of opportunity around here. So when you're flipping a mobile home, what are some of the things before we got, I want to get into like the mechanisms of the flip, right? So what you're doing once you're inside the box, but let's, let's start with what do you look for when you're looking for a deal and you want to flip a mobile home? What are some parameters that, that you use for your measuring sticks on whether or not it's a deal or not? Yeah. So for the most part, whether it's manufactured or stick built, I pretty much follow the 70% rule, meaning that the deal at, at a minimum has to be total purchase price plus rehab costs don't exceed 70% of the ARV, the after repair value. Mm -hmm. So if I have a, a double wide that I know I, I can resell for 200,000, I know my total purchase plus rehab at the most needs to be 140. So if I am estimating the rehab is going to be 30, I know the most that I can pay that person is 110. So I may try to get even better than that. I may start the offer at 
90 or so and see where I can get. But I know 110 is, is going to be my max. And that's that's been a pretty good rule to follow, not only for the amount of money that you can make and what's worth your time, but more importantly, for mitigating risk. That's That's a hefty enough margin that you can have a bunch of things go wrong that were unexpected mm-hmm. and still end up doing fine and making a little bit of money and more yeah. importantly, not losing money. So when, once you're inside, so that those are, those are great parameters, right? You're financing with your own capital, hard money, investor capital. Like is that, like, since it's probably hard to finance or impossible to finance, as you said, as an investor, how are you finance, financing the acquisition? Yeah. So there are, some hard money lenders that will loan on manufactured homes, you know, short term, you know, six or nine month terms, mm-hmm. they are out there. I almost, for the most part now, I use private money and I've got, you know, some private money folks that have really deep pockets that can handle a lot of my volume, but, but they're a little bit more expensive, you know, like, you know, two points and 11 and a half percent interest or so. But then I've got a handful of other folks that have smaller amounts that maybe they can fund one deal at a time, but they're willing to accept zero points and 10% interest or zero points and 12% because they, they, they trust me and my track record and ability. And they know that, you know, they see the collateral as well and how good of a deal that I'm getting. And I don't really stray from numbers wise from those parameters. So yeah, I, I use hard money or, or private money for every one of my flips, even if I have capital available one, because I, I like to stay liquid. I feel more safe that way. And two opportunity costs. You know, if I've got a ton of capital tied up in my own flips and some incredible apartment deal comes across my desk and I don't have the money to buy it, I would, you know, really be kicking my. So that, so it sounds like you're financing through private capital and, and Hey, Great book. I know a guy and I'm grateful enough to see, I believe I see my book over your, yeah, over your head right there. Cool. I'm grateful. I would suspect the private capital has got to be a big part of the game for flipping mobile homes, but certainly necessary in today's economy. Going forward, typical mobile home deal. You got it under contract, your owner, you own it now. Let's say first day, give me a typical reno uh, of a mobile home, right? Fix and flip for a single family house. A lot of us understand it's all kitchens and bathrooms. It's paint, a lot of exterior, a lot of interior basements, those kinds of things, attics, a lot of that doesn't play in a mobile home, but typical mobile home rehab, what are you, what are you doing to, to turn it around? Yeah, I'd say it varies, but on average, it's mostly cosmetic. We're doing LVP throughout the whole house. We're doing minor wall repairs and painting the whole house and light fixtures and new appliances, maybe new toilets. If the showers and bathtubs look like like really dingy, then I'll have a professional bathtub refinishing company mm-hmm. come and refinish them and make them, they look brand new when they're done with them. But for the most part, we typically are leaving kitchen cabinets and bathroom vanities and showers and tubs in place, only replacing those if if the condition is bad enough. But most of them we're doing- Are you painting the cabinet boxes? No, I I have before- but a lot of times with the manufactured homes, they're they're made with the cabinets that are that have that like plastic covering over them the instead of the veneer. yeah right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, that, that stuff doesn't take paint too well now <laughs> right yeah. yeah and half the time you've got you know rips and tears in that veneer that you can't really you know just paint and cover that up no you know? they'll they'll probably look even worse if you painted them right right um, okay okay good stuff what, now you flip some houses too what are things in flipping a mobile home unit 
that just, it just doesn't play. You just don't see it that you would like you, you see these things flipping a house. I'm trying to get you to tell me how flipping a mobile home is easier, right? It sounds like it's easier, but in what way are, are things that you don't have to think about? And if it's harder, you can say that too. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, I mean, I would say it is easier uh, in most cases it, that, and most contractors that have worked on them have acknowledged the same thing that they're, they're very easy to work on. They're very simple. The, the way that they're built. So, so for example, in the, the crawl space, you've got access to every bit of the plumbing very easily and it's very accessible. So even though, like say you got a stick built house, especially if it's on a slab, how much is that going to cost if you have to replumb the whole house? It's yeah. going to be a lot of money. Well, with these, even your your retail price plumbers is probably only going to cost you for an average double wide somewhere around six grand to replumb the whole house. And my more affordable plumber will replumb a whole double wide for three grand. So that's pretty cheap, you know, and it's it's pretty often a need as well because one thing with these is that in the late 80s and early 90s, almost every manufactured home that was made during that time period was made with polybutylene plumbing. And polybutylene is very frail. It's very brittle after 20 or 30 years, which is why, you know, it was banned after a certain time period. And so often you're going to find several active leaks under the house. And if you try to repair them, you're probably just going to cause three more leaks because you touched it. And so it'll give you issues on the back end. When you, when your buyer does a home inspection, the inspector is going to say, Oh no, this is terrible. You need to have it replaced. You can make the argument that it doesn't technically have to be replaced, but it's always going to give you a problem and you should plan for it. And so the way to, to check for that when you're walking, doing your first walkthrough of a mobile home to see if you want to buy it or not is just look under the, the vanities in the kitchen and the bathrooms and look at your water supply lines coming up out of the ground through the subfloor. And if those pipes are a gray color, there's a 99% chance that it's polybutylene and you're going to probably need to replumb the house. And you just work that into your numbers and make your offer from there. But if the plumbing is a different color, you know, if it's tan or if it's white or blue and red, then you're probably going to be safe. If it's blue and red, you lucked out because you got packs. That's the new <laughs> stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Okay, so flipping mobile homes, interesting thing, works in certain markets, maybe doesn't work in others. And I get it because certain markets just don't have mobile homes that much. Totally fine. Bigger Pockets podcast that you were just on to hear all about your story, but I can't help but ask. On the show, you talked about this, but I want you to talk about it here too. I won't tell David Green that you talked about it on, on my show also. Talk us through this $15,000 absolute, like Grand Slam is not even the term for it, right? It's like whatever, <laughs> whatever baseball plays beyond a Grand Slam, maybe you just hit one of these and you just win the game, right? You did a $15,000 deal loan that it's now worth $1.2 million through a 1031 exchange. Tell us that story so we can unpack that a little bit. Absolutely. So it started with, I bought a single wide trailer with the land from, through a wholesaler. I have no idea how the wholesaler got it cheap enough to sell it to me for this. No clue. But I bought that for $15,000. Already had a tenant in there. It didn't need any work. I didn't, ha I didn't have 15 grand, so I borrowed it from somebody to be able to buy it. And my plan was just keep it as a rental and pay that person back their 15 as I got the you know rent checks each month. And then about four months later or so, was looking at buying two duplexes and almost got them under contract and that deal slipped away from me. And I'm a really sore loser. It, it, it caused me to then go hunting for 
other multifamily properties. You're tenacious, so, Jason. That's what you are. You're not <laughs> a loser. You're just tenacious, man. I love it. You, you yeah. keep one. So you, you, didn't, you, didn't take a, you didn't take the door slam as a, as a no. You wouldn't either kick that door in or wouldn't find, find yourself another door. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, when, when, you're, when you're a child losing a monopoly and you flip the board over out of anger, that's maybe not a great time to be a sore loser. But no. as an entrepreneur, being a sore loser is a big, a, a good quality to have. Yeah. So, but yeah, so instead of, you know, moping about getting that deal, I was just like, no, I'm not going to lose. I'm going to find one of these now. Now I, yeah. I almost got it. Yeah. I got that taste and I was like, I got to find one. So I built out this list and I found, I ended up getting this eight unit property under contract that at the current rents that it was at, I knew was probably already worth around 900 at that time. Once I got it up to market rent and I got it under contract for 450,000. And I asked the seller, I said, Hey, I would really love to be able to sell this other property I have in 1031 exchange into this, but obviously that's going to take a little bit of time. Would you mind if we set the closing out for three months? And he said, yeah, I understand what you're trying to do. That that's fine. No problem. And so then I started the process to sell that single wide. I tried to get the tenant out so I could clean it up and sell it for the most, but I failed to get them out. So I ended up selling it to uh, still occupied to a cash buyer uh, only about seven months after I bought it for $98,000. So 70 something thousand in, in gains, but my net proceeds from the sale was just over $90,000, which I did the 1031 exchange for, which was exactly the 20% down that I needed for the commercial loan for the $450,000 building. And that, which by the way, is a gorgeous property. It was only 20 years old when I bought it. It had a three-year-old roof. It's absolutely beautiful. Each unit, two bed, two bath, thousand square foot, washer dryer connections in each mm -hmm. one. Beautiful property. And now that property is probably worth somewhere around 1.2 and it's cash flowing over four grand a month. That's great. It, it's it's nuts. It's uh, But that's, that's what's possible with real estate. And that's what I, I tell people that complain all the time about not being able to find deals, whether it's single family or multifamily. I mean, you know how many times I hear from people, especially in my own market about how there's no deals and I, and, or right. how like the 70% rule is not applicable anymore. Right. No, you're wrong. I've got 13 of them right now, single yeah. family and the multis. We've not had that much trouble finding those either when we're ready to find another one. So there's a quote somewhere I mentioned on the bigger pockets podcast. I don't remember who said it, but it goes something like, Deals of a lifetime or opportunities of a lifetime come across roughly twice a year if you're always looking for them. Yeah. And and that's been so true for me that, you know, both that single wide trailer deal and that eight unit deal, both would be called an opportunity of a lifetime, yeah. you know, and I've done several other deals since then that you would consider that as well. So you know, I just, I hope that encourages people that no, it does. I had a broker tell me one time, the deal of the decade comes by once a week. That's what a broker <laughs> said to me. And it's like, oh man. And as a newer investor, you're like, oh, you know, easy for you. Maybe when you right. get good deals or whatever. Well, it, all it means is you get your ear to the ground if you're focused. And, and my guess is, Jason, that you're not shopping 19 markets across the United States to do business. You're shopping in your own, in your own market in North Carolina. Which town in North Carolina are you focused in? Wilmington. Okay. Got it. Wilmington, North Carolina. Not right. Not Charlotte. 
not you know Winston-Salem up where we are, not other markets, Wilmington, North Carolina. And that, that guys, is how you get deals of the decade. That is how Jason's been able to expand is through focus on markets. You know, And it also en enables you to be uh, a little bit more shrewd and maybe even a little bit more lazy too. Because like not for nothing, Jason doesn't have to drive all around looking at deals all across creation. He's got enough going on in his own backyard. Sounds like, you know? Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's awesome. And I think that whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. That's another quote to give you from Henry Ford that those that are out there, oh, you can't do 7%, 70% anymore. You can't do this. You can't do that. Well, you're right. Okay. That's true for you. <laughs> not not true for me or true for Jason, right? And one line, I'll just, keep, I'll just keep the quotes coming because they seem to apply to a lot of what you're talking about here. And, and this is uh, T. Harv Eker. Don't buy real estate. Don't wait to buy real estate. Excuse me. Don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. Right. The reason that Jay, and because you you heard that story, Jason just told about, oh, he got that 10 unit for 450K, right? Well, you know, you can't get that deal anymore. You're right. You can't. But that's because Jason bought it a while ago. He didn't buy it last week. He bought it a while ago. And then he's waited and the market's gone up and everything like that. And yeah, it, it'll be worth a lot more than 450 for the foreseeable future. And I submit to you guys, the deals you guys buy today, for whatever number they are, are likely to be worth a good bit more tomorrow if you buy good deals. If you buy deals that cash flow day one, that makes sense as Jason did. So Jason, this is all awesome, man. What is next for you, for Jason? What, what's, what's, what should we look out for you doing the next time you're on the Bigger Pockets podcast or here joining me on this program or me bumping you at the, the Bigger Pockets <laughs> conference again? What's next that we're going to hear about next time we see you? Yeah, man. You know, truthfully, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not. Right. I, well, I'm very contrarian to the entrepreneur space of everybody that has these giant goals to build huge empires and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's just not who I am. You know, to me, because I started, you know, where I had the day job to cover our bills and then I waited to leave the day job until after I had the cash flow to cover it, there's never been any pressure for me to have to perform. And so everything I've been doing has just been fun and it's been light and it's been like a, a game to me that you're just trying to, you know, bump up the scoreboard, you know, so I'm one that if I put certain goals or expectations on myself, or if, if I tell myself that I have to track certain KPIs every day or week or month and make myself do certain tasks, to me, that feels like work. That feels like a job or it feels like homework. And then that I can see how that would start to kind of taint the relationship that I have with real estate investing uh, of just having fun growth, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think I, I would love the opportunity if if I could come across something a little bigger, like, you know, you know, 50, 60 unit property within a few hours of here that needed a good amount of work. I've got the crews that are willing to travel a few hours that can handle a major rehab. And I've, I'm fairly sure I've got enough network that I could, you know, raise a few million if I need to. It's just, I, I haven't, I've got a ton of people that have over the years, reached out wanting to invest with me in something and in, in an equity partner type position. But yeah. the, I have not yet come across a good enough and big enough deal where it makes sense to, to take on something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you will. Right. But I want to like underscore a few things that you said that not everybody needs to get into this game with a goal of making a billion dollars. Right. I can tell you that, that in a lot of ways, you know, more money does equal more problems. Right. And it does. There, there's not easy street. There's not like some, hurdle you get to where life all of a sudden your business all of a sudden gets easy. So it's not like, oh, I'll just invest up to the where I'm making a hundred grand a month passive and all my problems will magically dissolve. No, you'll just have <laughs> different problems and larger problems and all that. So it's very pragmatic of you to look at it that way to say, okay, I'm not going to just 
for my ego or whatever, just earn as much as I can or have as big of a portfolio as I can. So you can run around at the next BP con with your pinky next to your mouth, like Dr. <laughs> Evil from, from Austin Powers, telling people how much money you got, you know, or how many doors you got. Right. Right. That's very pragmatic of you. And also you get a lot of mouths to feed too. Right. So yeah. it may be just enough to feed the, the new mouths coming on the way. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm very strict on, I don't work evenings. I don't work weekends and you. Wednesdays. I take a half day to help out with other things, appointments and stuff. And you know, that's, it, it works out really well for us. It's a good work-life balance. And isn't that what it's all about, right? Yep. Isn't it really all about living life to its fullest and maybe not all the dollars that you could possibly attract to yourself, um, yep. but also about living a good life of balance so your kids remember what you look like, you know, and everything like that, right? So- well, that's great, man. Very pragmatic of you. Listen, it's been great having you on the show today. Thank you uh, for joining us in the Cashflow Digest. For those that want to track you down and to hear more about you, pick your brain about Wilmington, get you to teach them how to flip mobile homes, all kinds of other great stuff you and I talked about today and more that you could bring to the table, uh, how to manage five kids, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever advice they need from you, how do folks get a hold of you? Yeah, about the kids, I'd have to direct them to my wife. Because, but no, they can reach out on LinkedIn, Instagram, Bigger Pockets. If they want to check out my website just to see what it looks like, it's capefearcashoffer.com. It's our area is considered the, the Cape Fear region or if you jasonveely.com or JV with jv.com. They all take you basically to the same spot. Right. Let's go jasonveely.com, V-E-L-I-E, jasonveely.com, guys. Go there and check out that site. You guys can learn more about Jason and hopefully contact him there. And that Jason, awesome, awesome having you on the Cashflow Digest today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Take care. Great conversation. I love what we got into at the end about really looking at the lifestyle that you want to generate from your investing business. I don't, I, I forbid any of you from forgetting that point because your ego could tell you that making a million a month passive should be your goal, right? Well, first of all, start with why. And because I want to make more money or because I want money is never a good enough answer. I can promise you firsthand, I know this firsthand, that money does not equal happiness. I've seen it for myself and seen it in many, many friends. So happiness is generated, I think, through living life on your own terms. And so if real estate investing can help you get there, figure out how it will, and then live into that. There we go. Guys, we're going to switch gears and talk about the deal of the month. We like to highlight our DeRosa Income Fund, which is a phenomenal cash flowing vehicle that pays out dividends monthly. It's averaging returns between 8 and 10%. Our highest month was 10.7% so far, and the fund's only been in business for a couple of months. DeRosaGroup.com forward slash dip. It is a great parking lot for self-directed IRAs and cash, and people can recycle their money back through it over and over again. You can compound the returns, and it is liquid. You get your money back. And when you want it back, after it's seasoned for a year, you can go get your money back when you want it. How cool is that? So today we like, we like to highlight deals that we're into, which a lot of times really cool deals that we're up to and just tell you guys some good stuff. So this could teach you guys a little bit about investing strategies. Maybe you're an operator of a deal like this, or maybe this is inspiring you to join us on DeRosa Income Fund and do cool deals that we're about to talk, you to talk to you about today. Vinny Celeste, take it away for the DeRosa Income Fund deal of the month.
There we go, guys. Rosa Income Fund highlight of the month. Thank you, Vinny Celeste, for putting that together. And thank you for all of our Rosa Income Fund investors. If you guys are watching live, thank you. Those of you guys that are watching the recording of this program, don't forget to go to DeRosa Insiders, I-N-S-I-D-E-R-S. You know how to spell that. Go to DeRosa Insiders on Facebook and join us live in this community so you can be a part of the thousands of people that are part of the DeRosa Insiders group already and join us for all things real estate, all things real estate talk. If you guys want to join us on our accelerator program or see if you qualify for that, go to derosagroup.com forward slash accelerator. We do have a few seats open where we teach people how to double, triple, quadruple, even 10X their multifamily investing business through the DeRosa Group tactics, DeRosa Group strategies that we've developed and give you guys a successful business in a box in 90 days or less that you can take and grow and scale your business with the tools that we have practiced here at the DeRosa Group and that we use on a daily basis. Check that out, guys. DeRosaGroup.com forward slash accelerator. Thank you for joining the Cashflow Digest. We will see you guys next week. We'll see you guys there. Take care. Hey guys, Matt Faircloth here. Thank you for listening again to the Cashflow Digest. I really appreciate you guys doing that. If you guys want to hear more about what DeRosa Group has to offer, go to DeRosa Group, D-E-R-O-S-A group.com, DeRosa Group.com online. You can hear about all the great things that we offer from an educational standpoint and passive investment standpoint on our website. See you there. And if you guys want to join our online community, DeRosa Insiders on Facebook, where you can watch this program get recorded every Friday at noon Eastern, and you can come on as even a guest or ask questions on the show. We hope to see you guys on our online community, DeRosa Insiders. See you there.